Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. Last time on the optional experience, Eric gave us some homework, asked us to develop a plan for how to deploy a $100,000 portfolio, and somebody might have needed a little bit of extra coaching. Uh, as you can see, Blaine's not here today. She's out sick today, so I think we can all guess who it is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm going to take the opportunity today to pick Eric's brain, uh, get some help on that homework, some extra tutoring, as you as you can call it. Uh, as a reminder to anybody tuning into the podcast version, we do have the minimally edited version of this with video so people could see Eric's screen. All those links will be in the show notes. Eric, how are you doing, man? Any uh, Anything new going on you want to report on? Not really. Um, I actually did just have a interview with Business Insider. That was pretty cool. Um, so that's out now for people that are interested. There's a couple of them actually with me. There's some that just kind of talk about how I've gone about creating wealth. There's a couple that have talked about some of my biggest mistakes, which I really, really like that one. And oh, then I there's one with just like, yeah, then there's one with just some like book recommendations in it. Um, I didn't know they were making one with that one, but uh, yeah, overall <laughs> it was, it was super cool. And I think the, the reporter that I was working with, she did a really cool job capturing the the stuff that I try to convey to people because when I talk about wealth and things like that, I think it's important for people to see some of the cool things you can do with it. Mm -hmm. But I spend way more time talking about the process. Right. And I, she did a cool job, I think, capturing that. Yeah, you've been doing a lot more podcasting stuff lately. Has that been the focus uh, this past year? No, no, yeah. I no. think, no, I think there's just been a kind of a series of opportunities that have popped up that I'm always, as long as it's like a good platform, I'm not going to say no. Like that's the right. way I generally operate is because the whole reason why I got into all of this is to share information. So mm -hmm. if sometimes there's really cool podcasts that'll ask to work with me, sometimes it's a super small one with like 200 viewers. Like I, I really don't care Yeah. for, for me. It's just, it's the importance of sharing the information because you never know when people will catch a specific snippet of it and then it can send them down a different path. I got one of the coolest messages the other day from somebody explaining, you know, that they're this, these are my favorite ones too. It's like the person was an OG 
So they mm-hmm. were saying like, I started watching you when you were recording from like a laptop camera off right. to the side. If anybody yeah. of the OGs, they know how that was. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, for like the, essentially the last two years, he's completely changed his trading. He was mm-hmm. showing me screenshots of essentially the returns he was generating. And it, it like literally is life-changing stuff. And that is so cool to me. It's literally that, so cool to me. Was I'm, that the tweet you posted? Uh, was that today? I think I no, saw I got there. That, or is that, that another that one? Another, that was another one that I'm really thankful to see. It's really cool. Part of it, honestly, is like ego driven, right? Like I want to see yeah. the stuff I'm sharing, helping people, right? That, that assages my ego to some degree. It validates me. But hands down, the bigger part of that is like just hearing those experiences from people because every time I hear one, I relive when I went through that moment mm. and it changed everything for me. Speaking of changing everything, there was a video you just put out today. Uh, I think it came out today. It was the revisiting the, the ratio, uh, ratio spreads, ratio diagonals. ratio diagonals. I can never get the terminology sure. right, but yeah, uh, there was some, there was a specific moment in there and it was something that hadn't never clicked before. You said that when you have to close out one of the short legs, and it's gone against you, you close out one of your core positions, the long, the long uh, calls with it mm-hmm. in order to actually realize some of the profit. Because if that one's going against you, the other one should be uh, mm-hmm. doing well. And that finally clicked in my head like, oh, that's how you that's how you do it. I thought you were just sitting there rolling these things and it didn't make any sense to, to stick with that as a strategy where you could be carrying these losses for months. Uh, waiting for one of those things to kind of catch up and it finally clicked and I put one on today and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think it's an important detail for a a few reasons. One, because to your point, when we have that short option that's working against us and we close it, we're realizing a loss. Mm -hmm. And I think you, and I've done this before. It's not really the way that I typically do it, but you could just take the loss and leave the longs on and just continue on your merry way. But the issue with that is it's very difficult to know where things are going. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between realized and unrealized PL. Yeah. So especially with that trade, I'm very reluctant to realize a loss on an overall winning position. It makes no sense to me. Right. So I make sure that I realize some of the win plus there's a bunch of other really great benefits from that. It helps me naturally start to scale out right. when I'm winning instead of carrying on. It also frees up capital that if I want to actually add more in another period of time, I have no problem adding to winning trades, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's it's been a useful add-in to include into the strategy. And that's actually one of the things that my mentor did with that strategy is because he traded for income. He wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily trying to grow his account. So he didn't want to realize a loss and not have a net profit because he's drawing on this for income. Right. right. So it also applies to that scenario. As well. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's funny, like you said, the, like the little things that, that kind of click for somebody or you never know what it's going to be. And uh, today I had mine. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely awesome. And I think the other thing that I try to talk to people about specifically with the ratio put diagonals is the fact that, you know, you can um, trade both directions. So Mm -hmm. I just throw that out there for people because the time that I spent developing strategies used to be a lot of strategies and not a lot of depth around them. But now my wheelhouse is technically less than five strategies. 
there is the individual legs of those strategies, but they're always in service of the broader structure. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's like one of the really cool things about these ratio diagonals is because you can have one overall strategy that applies to both directions very efficiently. Yep, yep. Um, let's see, when we uh, first started talking, uh, planning for this, trying to figure out what we're gonna do, I think I had mentioned that I was having some trouble with the homework, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with this portfolio assignment. Mm -hmm. uh, you did send me a video and I'll make sure I link that in the episode description so people can check that out if they're having the same issues that I was. But I think what happened was I just got overwhelmed, like it was too much and I didn't know where to start. And I think that little 17 minute video that you sent me really helped kind of clarify a lot of things. I think I was thinking of it as like a, a fund manager, like trying to build a fund. Like, what am I doing? No, <laughs> it's more about yeah. uh, the risk management, like how I'm looking to deploy the capital. Um, and those were the things that I was working on. Those are the things that I was starting to put things together. Um, like my risk controls, I don't want to put more than 10%, uh, allocated to any one trade is uh, one of the things I wrote down that I saw your video and saw that you can do up to 80% on yours. So, um, yeah, I'm starting with, I guess I'm being uber cautious right now because I don't know what I don't know. And I think that that's, that's probably the smart way to start, right? 100%. 100%. There, there's nothing wrong with that. The thing when you see like 80% on mine, a lot of that will come down to the individual strategy, right? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. only, there's really only one strategy that I permit that in. So in general, I think you're starting at a really good beginning point. The only mm -hmm. thing I make sure people realize then is that if we say, I'm not going to put any more than 10% in any one individual position, then that means that essentially to use most of your portfolio, you need to have at least eight trades on at, at all times. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to be generally underutilized. So as long as that's part of like the broader, like that fits well, then perfect. No problem. But the other thing is from your perspective and from new traders perspectives, you're, you're almost the inverse to the typical new trader and not that you're a new trader. I'm not even trying to fuck at you like that, but like the typical new trader takes too much risk. I know. And yeah. then they have a giant problem. People like you that have seen the markets for a while have a healthy respect for the markets almost draw back too far. Yep. And then it's difficult to keep enough risk out in order to make the money that you want to make. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I think that is part of my issue right now is that when I started out, I had a lot more risk tolerance. I was never the the bet the house on any one trade kind of person. I think that was something that probably saved me from a lot of heartache over the past three years. But I've noticed that my risk tolerance has been slowly getting less and less the longer I stick around and try to do this. Yeah, which makes sense. It's a gift and a curse. Um, mm. Because not not putting on getting too gun shy, you can't make any fucking money is yeah. what it comes down to. Yep. Like you got and I actually think that's why trading is such a great intersection for people like me who are not that smart, but I'm smart enough to learn the general rules, but I'm dumb enough to sling fucking money. <laughs> it's like there's got to be an intersection there. Right. Because there's tons of super smart people and they won't trade. And sometimes it's because they're too smart for their own good. They think that there's no you know, opportunity for them. So they just abstain from doing it. Meanwhile, retards like me are making pretty good money being dumb. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I, I think maintaining that balance is really important. And I think for you, that would be one of the goals I would have for you 
when you're thinking about deploying the portfolio, I would almost force you to set up a minimum investment mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Along with the cap. Uh, well, I was looking at that. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to have in my portfolio was actual cash reserves because I wanted to be able to actually deploy if an opportunity comes up. So I actually wrote that out as like, I wanted to maintain a 10% cash reserves that if I end up deploying that, then I have to go look for something to close out. Not that I, you know, not that I can't ever spend it, but it needs to be, I want to have ammo in case something happens that I want to be able to try to take advantage of it. I think I would say yes and no. Yeah. I wouldn't make that a hard, I wouldn't make that a hard rule. I wasn't calling it, it I wasn't thinking of it as a hard rule. It was more just perfect. something that I want to maintain. Like a general guideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's totally cool. Make a note because I view at least for like a hundred thousand dollar portfolio, like smaller portfolios, in order to make good money, you have to stay invested. You mm -hmm. need risk out. So with something like that, let's say, you know, you're 90% invested and then you see a great opportunity pop up. So then you deploy the remaining 10. And like you said, then you kind of go searching for something to close out. But to me, that could start creating an unnecessary need, right? Like mm -hmm. what if that other 90% is working great, right? Right. Then yeah. We're just, we're creating an artificial problem for ourselves. Okay. So yeah, as long as it's exactly as you framed it, as long as that's a guideline, no issue with that at all. Gotcha. Um, and I think the other thing that I was maybe having some struggling with was like in my mind, when I put a trade on the trade, I'm risking that capital, right? All that capital is at risk because overnight something could happen that could go to zero. You could be completely wiped out of that position uh, in the blink of an eye. It's not very likely to happen, but that's partly why I like to try to keep some sort of diversification. That's why I threw that 10% allocation in there, but maybe I'll revisit that and maybe raise it a, a little bit more. Yeah, I think that, I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that that's okay. 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 Um, let's see, do I have any other questions? Yeah, I was starting to dig into like sector balancing and all kinds of, I was going down some really bad rabbit holes. So that video, I think really helped a lot. Yeah, that that to me sounds pretty deep. Definitely mm -hmm. deeper than than I think you need to. The especially for stuff like that, I generally consider um, general correlation and then mm -hmm. beta weighted deltas. I actually have a a video. Did I? I don't even know mm -hmm. if I made the video yet. I have to tell you. I've heard you talk about beta weighted deltas, but I think you mentioned it on the previous yeah. video. But I'm not sure I quite understand what you're talking about there. Yeah, I I definitely did, but I also definitely realized that a lot of people don't know what that is which is again it's one of those things that i kind of take for granted but mm -hmm. uh let me i can tell you right now if it's yeah okay so i made the video so it's with my editor um yeah. so that video will be coming out soon but the long story short on um, beta weighted deltas it's it's pretty straightforward mm -hmm. it's essentially a way for us to translate all of the different positions out into one common language so mm -hmm. essentially if you have long calls in Apple, short puts in Tesla, whatever the fuck, right? You can have uh, unlimited positions. Then when you beta weight your deltas, the your platform, most platforms will do this. You can calculate it yourself as well, by the way, but to do it in, in the platform, essentially all you're doing is you're saying every single one of these positions, you're translating it into a common thread. So a lot of people use SPY, SPX, something like that. Mm -hmm. So essentially you look at your beta weighted deltas and it'll tell you, that Apple long call, 
that's behaving like five spy deltas. So that essentially means that's behaving like five shares of spy. Okay. And then that Tesla short put, that's 10 spy deltas. Okay, so that's acting like 10 shares of spy. So now you're at 15 deltas. Right now, those two positions combined are acting like 15 shares of spy. Mm -hmm. And then so on and so forth all the way down. Okay. So you can use it to figure out a bunch of things. You can figure out your directional risk, your notional value, your exposure, correlation, stuff like that. How do you utilize that then? Do you have any guidelines or like, I don't want yeah. to be above this much in any one direction, even if I am bullish or do you try to keep it yeah. balanced? You, I, I don't really set caps like that. I essentially just think about the amount of risk that I have out at a given point in time and how I feel about the market. Mm -hmm. But at this point, to be completely honest, I feel like I just have quite an innate sense for like what's going on and what's coming off. I actually very rarely use it for that anyways. I'll normally just use it to see how positions are behaving over time. Mm -hmm. So like if I put on something originally because I want short deltas and I see that, you know, when I first put the position on, it's negative 100 SPX deltas or spy deltas, whatever the fuck you want, negative 100 S&P 500 deltas. And then two weeks in, I see that that's now down to negative 30 SPX deltas. Well, I, I, it moved, right? Markets move, yeah. the underlying moves. But that tells me that I'm I, the position I put on and wanted has changed, and I need to reevaluate that position. Do I need to adjust it so that I can regain that overall exposure? Because what I try to talk to people about with portfolios is that there's kind of two levels of overall management. There is a position level management where you're looking at the days to expiration, um, if there's any specific earnings releases coming up for that specific product you're trading, those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. then there's the portfolio level. This is how everything fits together. And that moves as the individual positions move. Okay. So beta weighted deltas allow me to capture that. Now for most people, I would just tell them to look at the size of the positions. So like if you have one beta weighted delta position, that's five spy deltas, 15 spy deltas, negative 10 spy deltas. And then you have one that's 200 spy deltas. Mm -hmm. The shit's on a risk in one spot. Maybe yeah. that's by design and maybe you're prepared for that, but it's a really great way to identify anomalies like that. And you can also keep yourself honest in terms of position sizing, in terms of exposure, right? If you're very consistent around that 20 to 20 band, right? For most of your positions, cause that overall fits your portfolio. But then you have a couple things that are just massive that tells you maybe you're not sizing those appropriately. And then the other thing I would tell people is that if you look at your total beta weighted deltas and that number looks too big or too small, that tells you you need to do something. So if you have a $100,000 portfolio and you get all the way down to the bottom of your beta weighted deltas and your entire portfolio is behaving like 10 spy deltas, one of two things is going to be the case. Either you are very good at trading directionally neutral and you have a ton of risk out but it's just not producing a lot of directional risk that can happen that's seldom the case though typically what it just means is you don't have enough fucking risk out so when we're reviewing beta weighted deltas for the portfolio it's important to see what that number is in the context of the book but if you have a really low margin requirement and your beta weighted deltas are really low it just tells us we're not invested enough so I use it for individual position analysis, correlation sizing, and then I use it for portfolio level analysis, sizing, directional disposition, that kind of thing. All right. Awesome. Okay. Okay. When's that video coming out? 
It's a great question. My dude has a bit of a backlog of stuff. Um, yeah, so I would, yeah, I would probably guess either next month or the month after that. Okay. All right. Shoot me a note when that does, because I want to check that one out. Yeah. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. All right, should we move on and talk about a trade? Yeah, talk to me. All right, well, when I was looking at uh, the SPY, I was looking at it on kind of the long term overall, the the move that we've had recently, this nice push back up. Um, with all the economic data and everything that I've been seeing, I just can't imagine uh, things being good for stocks long term. Inflation's still coming in hot. Jobs are still coming in hot. Uh, there's still pressures that uh, the Fed are trying to combat as far as inflationary things go. Looks bearish to me. That gave me my bearish directional bias. So I just finished watching another one of your ratio diagonal videos. Uh, like I said, that was the one where it all finally clicked. So I went and priced out the 19 January. Um, I think I ended up landing on the 455 puts. I originally had the 460 puts, but I switched to the 455 because they had better liquidity. I wanted the 460 because they had a higher delta. They were closer to that 80 that I was looking for. But when I went and looked at the liquidity, I saw that there was only like 1,200 traded or outstanding uh, when I went and looked at it this uh, afternoon compared to like 10 or 17,000 on the uh, 455s. I wouldn't let that determine which one you pick. I was concerned about being able to get a fill. Um, the spread was also a lot worse at the time too. It just this, everything okay. looked better it's... as far as like getting a fill and being able to actually trade it with the 55s. Yeah, that's totally fair. And to your point, that'll happen. And you got to the more important part of that, in my opinion, um, when you said that the spread was wider. If the spread's too big, yeah, then yeah, I'm not a giant fan of that. I think, at least for me, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have entered the 55s because the delta is too low it but, is okay yeah uh, yeah 70 70 delta i think really 80 delta is like a pretty minimum threshold for me is it it's almost yeah yeah mm -hmm. i i typically am trying to get like 85 or 90 delta so because one of the and again this isn't the end of the world this is just a, a minor tweak but it was also a lot closer uh before the rally after the fomc minutes came out too <laughs> point out okay so, yeah got it got it got it so what was the the original do you remember when did you um, enter this trade i wrote it down i think i had to do something around lunchtime i wanted to wait for after fomc it was today it was today yes okay yeah okay no because i was going to pull up on demand and we could have traded it if it was further back in time but no problem yeah okay it was a 0. 0.76 
Yeah, it's still too low. It's still too low, but it was closer. Yeah, at least for me. Um, okay, so that's the long leg. So you would rather have gone that that liquidity at um, on the sixties didn't scare you. I mean, it was lower at the time, but looks like it's gone. Yeah, I was going to say what. Yeah, what I see here doesn't scare me at all. Um, really, they're not that far apart. This is like a dollar wide. This is like seventy cents wide. Mm -hmm. So, and I actually would probably even go one further to like the four sixty fives personally. Yeah, and I think um, the other issue I was having was I was trying to maintain that 10% rule and the math lined up a lot better on the 55s being able to get four if I wanted to still hit that 10%. Because the other thing that I would take a look at is like this and just go either in an expiration oh, into the if weeklies. it's too expensive. Okay. Yeah, because, well, so here's the deal and that's a great point that you brought up. The non-linear expirations, the non-standard expirations, sometimes can be worse. Yeah. They often are. But if it's like a quarterly expiration like this, they're typically not. They're typically still okay. Mm -hmm. So this would be another place for us to look. It doesn't look much better, but like, for example, this the Delta's 82 Delta with, with one open interest is still 80 cents wide. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still pretty damn tight. So just, again none of what you did is like awful i'm just offering small yep, tweaks yep. yep no and yeah I, I think i defaulted to the cheaper one just uh just because that's i think the way i've always done it and that's probably not necessarily you get what you pay for right you get what you trade yeah <laughs> uh okay so then for the for. short leg then we can take a look at that one i went to the 20 october um which was next like friday that. And I sold, I just went straight at the money, which at the time was 433, 433 puts. And I sold that mm -hmm. for, I think it was 368. So you did the four it was the, That was originally what I priced it. I think I ended up having to switch it to the 55s. Yeah, 455s. And then what, uh, what size? One? I started with two of these. Uh, so I could do, I wanted to do 50%, but I also wanted to leave room if I wanted to add to it, if this pushed up a little bit higher after FOMC. I wanted to give myself room was, to double the position. What was the price you put in? Uh, so the spread was like, it was about a dollar. It was 22.76 to 23.85. I'm sorry, what, what was your entry price? For which, which leg? For the long, for the 455. It was between, I wrote down the, uh, the spread just because I wasn't sure how to paper trade that. I always just take the midpoint typically. That's that's exactly what I would do. So then you can call it twenty three thirty. Twenty three, and for those that are curious, what I'm doing, I'm essentially replicating his position on mine, mm -hmm. so that since we're sharing on mine, you'll still be able to essentially see his position. So then you sold the four thirty threes. You sold one of them, I presume, for what price? Wait, are you selling the calls? Oh my bad, wrong side. Oh god, yeah, I thought I fucked the whole thing up. The 430... <laughs> yeah, four thirty threes. Yeah. And you sold and them for that was 368 368 now one of the things i really like this looks good one of the things i really like about put ratio diagonals is that you get to capture this put skew mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome and when you're buying it you're still buying that put skew but since we're going so far out in time and so deep in the money if you actually go super far in the money then you minimize how much of the put skew you're actually buying because most of it's intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. So for those that are kind of listening along, 
that's exactly why I structure these this way is, is for that reason. So then what he has here is a very standard setup for diagonals. And for those that are curious what this typically can look like is if this position, so just for a quick comparison, I'm going to hide those. And a lot of people, they'll trade diagonals like this, where they'll sell the at the money, but, and I'm just using um, close prices. And then we'll go to that same expiration, and then they'll, they're cheap. People are cheap. Mm -hmm. So then they'll buy like maybe a 50 delta, maybe a 50 delta if they're feeling rambunctious. And this is what a diagonal normally looks like. So that even in this scenario, if you buy two of them, it's the only way that you can really create this typical profit potential that I look for. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I structure diagonals the way I do is because this is one way you can try to trade just like volatility via calendars and stuff. But the issue I have with this is that it's a directional trade. And then if you are too correct directionally, you lose money. Mm -hmm. So in this case, if it's a ratio put diagonal and we want it to go down, well, if it goes down a bunch, and you start losing money, it's like, well, well, what the fuck? Like, that was my <laughs> guess. That's what I thought this was going to do. And that's what makes options options is that not only do you have to be correct, you have to be correct in the amount of the right amount of time. And then you, you can be also the, be too correct. Yeah, the yeah. right correct. <laughs> yes. Yep, exactly. All right. Um, so looks like I kind of have the concept then. Yeah. I think that the, I would have gone deeper Yep. on the longs. The shorts were perfect. I love the way you set that up. And for those, you know, curious about how we can pick the strike for the shorts, I normally think of it this way. The further out of the money you send it, the more potential money you can make, but the less money you collect up front. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing for the number that you sell against it. So if you have really high conviction, I would do exactly what Kyle did here and have, you know, two to one so that we have unlimited upside potential and it's a pretty steep slope. If let's say Kyle was a little, you know, more cagey about it, he's not positive. He thinks it might flounder for a little bit and he wants to actually just collect a little bit more upfront. He could sell at a one to one ratio on this one because of the way that the deltas are set up. And this typically only happens on the first trade, by the way, I won't go super far in the details and, you know, bore everybody to death, but <laughs> this setup typically will only happen on the first one, but you can see that he still doesn't have any, you know, too right risk as right. I'll refer to it. Right. Right. But it caps down quite a bit. So like, let's say if he gets a big move and, you know, spy drops to 420. Well, in this scenario where he's at a one to one, he makes 445. And then in this scenario, he makes $1,400. So this comes down to, con to conviction, though, because in the scenario that he's in now, he collected $3.68 up front. And at other scenario, he would collect over $700. Essentially. So you have to figure out, yeah, and, what's right for you. And by selling them nine days out like that, I'd be looking to do it basically every week then until until I have to close it out because uh, the the one I sold is no longer profitable. Yep. But I like I this because like I like the paper trade of this. My plan is to just kind of hold this and just continue doing it. I'm not going to manage this like I would a normal position. I want to get a feel for how this thing moves. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that a bad idea? Like, I don't want to be teaching myself bad habits necessarily either. 
but I'd like I, to get a feel the, for it. How bad can it be? The way I typically trade diagonals is once they're on, they're on. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't fuck with it until expiration's coming up. Unless there's anomalous conditions, which do happen. So, for example, if you're right and your short falls in the money, mm -hmm. there are periods of time where you can still take that short off for a small profit. Yeah. And then you can, you know, recenter where price currently is. Like, I'll do that almost all the time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, generally speaking, I leave them alone. How the long less do that you, you how long how close to expiration will you let the main deep in the money position get? Uh definitely for something like this, as soon as we start getting within three months, I'm looking at doing something with it. And like three months would be the early warning system, and then two months is when I'm moving it. Because once you get within 60 days, that's when the accelerated right. theta decay really starts to pick up. So if you're super far in the money, you could break that rule, right? Like if your position's like a 100 delta, mm -hmm. then there's just not much theta in there anyways. So like, for example, let's pretend a bunch of time passed and let's just take a look at a few scenarios. If there's 90 days left, I won't do that one because we're kind of close to that already. Um, but if we do, let's say 65 days out, and let's look at something that's super far in the money. So we'll go like 75 strikes and we'll go to something that's like, uh, let's go even further. So let's do like five strikes. And we'll pick something that's like a 95 Delta, which would be something like in here. You know what I mean? There's like 16 yeah. cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who gives a shit? Nobody cares. So <laughs> if you don't want to adjust the position when it's at that, I don't think there's any. Okay. But a, lo a lot of it's going to come down to how deep in the money. But like I said, as a general rule, Two months it's getting adjusted almost always it would be a pretty unique scenario that i wouldn't well one last thing i want to ask you about then so when i picked the 19 january uh, my thought process was this being a uh bearish trade i think i wanted it to play out sooner rather than later so it was 100 days to to that expiration um looking at the chart there and then my thought was by 60 days i need to be out of this because i don't want to see any of that uh, like you had mentioned uh, is that enough time to let one of these kind of things play out then? So I'm basically giving myself four weeks to collect premium. Yeah, I think that's plenty. Okay. I think the most of the time I put these on with at least 180 days. That's typically my go-to. And I would have done that if it was a bullish strategy. I would have given it a lot yeah. more time to play out if I was but making the thing a bullish is, trade, I mean. The way that I would think about it is whether it's bullish or bearish doesn't necessarily matter because even if it's a short-term bearish thesis, mm -hmm. most of what you're buying on the long is intrinsic value. Mm. So it's like a down payment. You get it back. You don't so necessarily have to hold it. Yeah. I, I typically don't. Yeah. Like if I look at the average holding period for a diagonal, even the ones that I structure to be a year out, it's typically less than six months. Mm. So I'm very rarely holding it anywhere near the max duration of the trade. But the reason why I still do that is because, again, even this, even in this example, if we look at the 455s, there's still, you know, six dollars and change of extrinsic value losing three cents mm -hmm. essentially every day. But if we do kind of what I would do, so probably this 21 June and we look at that similar 70 Delta theta is a penny. Right. OK. So I'm reducing daily friction and drag on those longs by two, two thirds, thirds, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. and by going really far in the money, 
you're still you're still going to move with the underlying. That's mm -hmm. again the beauty of going super far in the money because I think a lot of people they're too used to seeing Vega and they're like my position lives or dies by Vega, which for those that don't know um or I'm sorry gamma, not Vega, gamma. And they think that their position lives or dies by gamma, but that's the rate of change of delta and gamma tends to peak up when we're closer to expiration. So that's when things can compound quickly. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people is when I structure the diagonals like this, you're not typically going to see a 300% return because it's already such a high delta. But what you will see is dollar for dollar movement in the underlying. As the SPY goes up a dollar, even though this is 254 days out bleeding a penny a day, this is still going to move 80 cents if you're 80 delta or higher. So the depth out in time that we are doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to move, but it does mean that you're not going to see that massive compounding that stems from mm -hmm. gamma, the rapid gaining of delta, that kind of thing. All right. That makes sense. All right. Mm -hmm. um, I think you answered most of my questions. Uh, do you have anything else uh, before we wrap up then? Yeah. Um, so I actually just had a trade. I need to make a, a video on it, but it was a ratio called diagonal in VIX. Oh, <laughs> and I, I made a, a pretty comprehensive post on this actually back in just a couple days ago. It wasn't it, that it was long on, ago. I think I remember seeing that when I was on vacation. Yeah, it was on it was on Reddit um, that I just did oh. like a recap <laughs> post mm -hmm. of it with everything. And but I walked through like the whole thing, but I'm going to make a video on that soon, actually, because it's essentially the same exact thing that you were doing, where I had a slightly different hypothesis that was baked into volatility because I track volatility carefully as an options trader. Mm -hmm. But so it was a ratio called diagonal, but that's still negative beta weighted deltas. That's still, you know, yep. short the S&P 500 as a position. And this was a great trade. It essentially returned over 30% in like 15 days. So the longs on this trade, funny enough, I had them out in like 22 May. It was over 200 days, mm -hmm. but it made the move quickly. Yeah. So I started entering here on the 15th and then I was already scaling out in here. So then I was fully out, what, uh, two, the six, I think it was like last Friday. So this is when I was fully out on this day. Mm -hmm. So the entire hypothesis there, though, is, you know, volatility expansion, yada, 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 that stuff. But the main thing I wanted to share with you is the fact that that trade was on with the base part of the position over 200 days out, and it was on for 15 days. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of trades that we've looked at together, did you see what Pepsi did? I didn't. <laughs> Fell off a cliff. What what were we talking about? I think we were looking at it around 190. We're talking about going but short. What, yeah, that sounds we're right. Structuring is yeah, restructuring a short trade. I to be honest, I I've gotten way better at picking direction, mm -hmm. and I'm still wrong a lot. But this doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, but me it, neither. <laughs> what a, what a great trade. I know the earnings release does surprise me a little bit though. Yeah, they just they had that was the that dump before earnings. I think what happened was Walmart um, ended up talking about how they were losing sales for like junk foods and sodas and that stuff from like Ozempics and other weight loss drugs. And I think that's yeah, what kind of hit them. What happened on the fifth? Do you know? See if that was Walmart's earnings. I need I need a little bit more news here. So, gang, this is kind of the world of traders, by the way, where 
you talk mostly about trading, but then every once in a while you come across something that just looks interesting, kind of piques your curiosity. Yep. And that's exactly what's happening right now, except I can't go back far enough on news there. So then I'll just type it in five October Pepsi news. And let's see what happened. Uh, PepsiCo warns of another price increases supply. So that was on the fifth. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then you were talking about the Ozempic. Yeah. Um, but actually, apparently it's sales are withstanding anyways. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Very curious. Yeah. Right. Interesting stuff. All right. Let's wrap this thing up before we start talking yes, about sir. more news. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, folks, that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who stuck around to the end, especially Eric for the extra coaching today. Back soon with another episode, Learning to Trade Options. But until then, if you got something useful, hit that button, like it, share it, tell your friends, all that other shit. The stuff that we hate telling you to do, but we have to tell you to do. Uh, what's the one that they do on YouTube all the time? Uh, leave a comment. Tell us what you um, think. It's my, my go-to on YouTube is uh, like, subscribe, and share. I think just like share. subscribe. I never, yeah. I never do leave a comment, although I probably should. Uh, I got to revamp my pitch. What do you guys think uh, with Pepsi? Leave a comment. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Good job. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll be back soon. Until then, take it easy, guys. Goodbye. Yeah, Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.